Greetings, Earthlings. My name is Jane Perone, and this is On The Ledge Podcast. Well, here we are again. Thank you so much for joining me. This week, I'm talking to Mark Lashmar, a.k.a. Your Babylon, about all things Anthurium. And I answer a question about what plants can grow in a big, south-facing window. Thank you for all the lovely feedback on last week's show. Lots of you were suggesting ideas for plant databases and things that you use to keep track of your plants. Lots of you, including Al, were suggesting spreadsheets of various kinds. And Samantha suggested something called Airtable, which I haven't had a chance to fully explore yet, but looks very interesting. And... If you haven't already found me, I am now on the platform known as TikTok and I'm not going to be doing any dancing. My bronze medal in ballroom and Latin American from when I was about nine probably doesn't set me up for a dancing career on TikTok. But do go and check me out there where I'm on the Ledge podcast. And if you are in the vicinity of Milton Keynes in the UK, I'm doing a special talk at Frost's Garden Centre in a place called Woburn Sands on March the 10th. It's going to be very fancy. There's going to be canapes and all sorts and you get a, a free succulent. If you book tickets now, I'll put a link in the show notes to that. I'm going to be talking about houseplant care. And if you come and reveal yourself as a listener, I will have some stickers and cards for you. So do book your tickets for that if you are in shooting distance of Milton Keynes. It's on the evening of March the 10th, 2022. Thank you to Kyle in SoCal for leaving a lovely review for the show, which thoroughly brightened my week. And thanks to Michelle, who became a super fan on Patreon, and Charlene, who became a legend this week. And now it's time to chat to this week's guest, Mark Lashmar, about the wonderful velvety world of anthuriums. Hi, my name's Mark Lashmar. I'm a houseplant and plant enthusiast. I've been sort of collecting plants and growing plants for, I would probably say, 15 years plus, but really heavily in the last four years. And I'm on Instagram as your.babylon. Mark, it's great to have you on the show. And I really want to pick your brains about the genus Anthurium, because I know you've got a lovely collection and I have a total anthurium count of zero in my house. <gasps> Gasp, pause for gasping. So I really want to get to, to get into some meat of the anthurium genus today with you. Um, and we'll talk about some other stuff uh, as well, because um, I love your Instagram account. It's a great mix of kind of the, the fun, the useful, um, the funny and the generally planty, which is always a great thing. What is it about anthuriums? I'm seeing anthuriums everywhere try to convince me to get some anthuriums mark when i was younger i was always into these giant leafy plants that you go and see in big glass houses i didn't know what they were they were just 
they could have been anything, you know, Valadendra or anything. I just thought they were amazing. So I think I've been brainwashed from a young age to sort of just love this giant leaf type thing. And then I was obviously collecting plants, just regular house plants like epiprenums and philodendrons and things like that you get from the garden centre. And I stumbled across an anthurium clarinervium. And I instantly resonated with with it. And it just brought back memories of seeing these amazing species in these botanic glass houses when I was younger. And it went from there. So it went from having a clarinervium and getting deeper into sort of the anthuriums and the aroids to collecting anthuriums from around the world and putting them in my in my cabinet. So for me, I love the texture of them. So when we say anthuriums, obviously there's, there's quite a lot of them. I'm talking specifically about the velvet type anthuriums. Uh, they're the ones that I really, really like. I love the veining on it. It's not just the front of the leaf. It's also the petiole, the back. Sometimes they're frilly, all these types of things. I just think they're stunning. For the anthurium noobs, can you explain visually what the difference is between crystallinum and, say, vichii or one of the other really popular ones? How how do you sort of rate them in terms of looks-wise and drama, which is what I think these anthuriums bring? So your velvety ones are the sort of crystallinum, forgetii, clarinervium types that they've got. Uh, kind of floppy, leathery, velvety leaves. Uh, they feel really nice and they've got some striking veining patterns. And then you've got some other ones which are like Vichii, Radicans and Luxurians. And I would call them sort of plasticky, leathery. They're not velvety or soft feeling at all. Then um, they have textures like crocodile skin, bobbly and stuff like that. And they, they have a different leaf shape as well. So they can be very elongated, ripply, especially the VGI. So I've got a really long, narrow form of that. And that's got lots of ripples going down it. And yeah, now, now hybridists are also making types that have different leaf colour and veining colour. And that's, that's something that's, that's been happening for quite some time, but I think that's on the uptrend as well. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Once you realise that something can be, I say, easily hybridised, but hybridised by people who know what they're doing, then a whole world opens up. Do all anthuriums need that enclosed moist air of some kind of glass cabinet, or can any of them survive in kind of average room conditions? So I have I have my anthurium clarinerviums just in normal room temperature and normal house humidity. They're not in the cabinet at all. They're just dotted throughout the house. I have crystallinum types um, dotted around the house. Um, I think I think everything else I pretty much keep in, in my cabinet. I mean, I can list a couple of them, but they're the only ones I've sort of experimented. So I think I think I think they can adapt, and I think I think as long as you're watering them, providing them, you know, a good substrate and and, and feed and light and everything like that, they, they will they will adapt. But so far, clarinervium and crystallinum are the ones that I don't have um, in any high humidity or special cabinets or anything like that. And are those? plants now they're so popular is it like other aroids where the price is kind of coming down and they're more accessible to the average 
uh, Joe, Joanna, or indeed Jane? Definitely. So crystal so clarinervums have been out for a while. Crystallinums are now hitting regular sh- regular plant shops and garden centres now. So you're starting to see baby ones being sold online from online retailers of crystallinum types anyway. Um, but I th- I do th- I think they're easier to look after, and they probably grow a bit quicker than um, than some philodendrons types actually and. Yeah, I just don't think they're cheaper as well. <laughs> Maybe because they can produce, be produced on a mass scale. But I'm, I have seen an uptrend in their availability and people getting into them online anyway. It's interesting, that baby plant trend, isn't it? I was looking around some houseplant shops the other day of things like anthuriums and also some alocasias. And, you know, me being a miser... I probably would be more likely to buy that baby plant, not only because I'm saving money, but also because I think that if you're starting off with a a really young plant, you've got a better chance of getting it acclimated to your house than buying, importing something from Southeast Asia that's already established and then it gets to your house and kind of has a bit of a protest. <laughs> <laughs> that has happened. That has happened to me. And I, I did start with smaller i'd say you know baby plants and seedlings and getting them from just friends that i've made over facebook and, and instagram that were growing their own seedlings and then i started getting some from germany you know this is pre-brexit um but they do grow they grow large so there was a there was a bit where um i don't know it was about two months ago where i was i, I did a comparison between this the, the cabinet that i built which i wanted just for my anthuriums and i was like this was the anthurium six months ago, and this is them now. And they're pushing the doors of my cabinet out because they grow so huge. So it's like, you need to think about the fact that they grow <laughs> quite large. And I think this is something we're seeing now with people um, offloading parts of their aroid collections because they've realised that, no, they do not stay as a cutting. They grow and romp around and get enormous. I mean, I'm definitely seeing a trend towards people selling their Swiss cheese plants on Facebook and things. It kind of makes me sort of wonder because I'm thinking, well, A, like you haven't done enough research to realise you could just hack that back quite happily. And B, like where you do, what were your mo- what's your motivation here? Is it really too big for your house or are you trying to make some money? Or I don't know. Have I, it, I'm really fascinated by this whole sort of moving plants through and buying a plant and then selling it again. That's not something I've ever kind of really done. But there's a lot of Swiss cheese plants for sale right now on <laughs> on various platforms. Monsteras and things that I do think people are, have been buying them to, you know, chop and prop and sell on. They do grow quite quickly, don't they? I think I think that the sort, sort of phylos and monsteras and things like that, I think there's, there's a different uptake for that. Maybe, maybe people see them as more valuable and easier to to propagate and sell on maybe anthurium is a bit more of a you know little treasures collectors pieces um i don't see them traded as much maybe just some seedlings because that was another fascination for me you know i wanted to i wanted to pollinate them (laughs) i wanted to learn how to make my own berries and things like that and the inflorescence how it changes from female to male i just it's amazing i mean they do have that classic uh, spade and spadix of the aroid family i i don't think i've ever seen i mean it's not something people tend to put on instagram either because their plants are too young or because 
they don't think it's as cool as the leaves. But I imagine that, um, like all the aroids, those flowers are kind of fascinating. I mean, I've been looking at the pollination bi- biology of some of the aroid species in my book, and there's so much we still don't understand about how these things work. It's really fascinating. Have you had success pollinating anthuriums? Yes. I've got a giant hybrid, a crystallinum hybrid. One of its leaves is as big as my chest at, this, at the moment, but it was also growing, a, you know, a flower in inflorescence of spadex. And um, I saved pollen that I took from it seven months prior from another flower, and I froze it. And I've successfully managed to make it happen, and it's now making berries. And I've been putting that in stories as an update, so you can kind of see how it changes shape. It sort of like bulges and... Um, I don't know, it's kind of like a honeycomb texture in the flower and they sort of like all split apart. So I'm I'm sharing that as I go along, but I will make a bit of a more condensed video on it so I can show people how I went about it. But I have done that with uh, Clarinerviums before um, and that's the only other ones I've I've managed to do it with, but I'd love to do it with a a VGI. Uh, I've got a couple of those, but none of those have even flowered for me yet. I know light is always one of those things that's impossible to kind of explain unless somebody happens to be using a light meter but how do you try to take care of your anthuriums obviously they need good light what about things like substrate and watering and feeding what's your regime i do use mixed substrate so my my main substrate that i use for my anthuriums is a mixture of moss perlite orchid barks maybe some uh, some coir chunks and um, a little bit of uh, charcoal that's probably my go-to rather than a more soil-based substrate. And I do have some in, um, you know, man-made products like Lechuza Pond or something like that. Um, and I actually, I don't know, it's not a stressful routine for them at all. I just I just make sure that the medium that they're in, if it's a moss type, that it's um, ever so slightly damp. Um, that sometimes I even let them dry out a little bit. I, you know, I do hear people say that they, they, they never let them dry out or they're always too wet or they, they like to keep them wet. But but I don't. I don't. It's not a stressful thing or a routine. It's just I'm checking the substrate. And if it gets slightly on the dry side, then I just I just give it a top up of water. I also feed them. At least every month, but actually, I think I feed them every two weeks all the way throughout the year and lighting Again, I don't have a meter at home, and I and I do worry about using the word indirect light because it's just one of those um, one of those things, or you know, that it doesn't really mean too much, or it's not understood. But I, they're under the ones in the cabinet do have an L, they do have LED lights in the in the cabinets, and they're on about nine to ten hours a day, and they're probably the light source is probably about. 30 centimetres away from the, the, the tallest one and some of them are you know quite low down and I, I, I do that because I I want them to be darker <laughs> I want the foliage to look darker and what I've noticed with some of them um, especially like the, the crystalline and forgetty types if they're a bit lower down away from being so close to the, the light they seem to have a lovely super dark foliage. Tell me about the cabinet obviously this is a phenomenon of the modern aroid and to some extent other house plant uh, growers 
what does the cabinet bring that you you that adds to your collection and what's your basic setup do you have all the fans and whatnot going I saw this on somebody else's Instagram. Her name is Robin, and I was kind of friends with her on, on Instagram. And she was she was using a cabinet. There were other people that were using cabinets and, as well. But as soon as I saw that, I thought that's an art piece. Now I can create this beautiful frame with lighting in it and have beautiful green foliage in there. So that was it for me. And then, I, so I went and got one of these cabinets, and I went through the whole journey of trying to figure out how to how to use it, like what kind of technology you need in it. Um, and that was the first cabinet, and I built a second cabinet with everything that I've learnt. And I'll go in, I'll go into detail and say the kind of things that I've got in there. And as I was doing that, I was sharing that journey and the, the things that I use and why I use them on my YouTube channel and on Instagram. And I think quite a lot of people found that useful and then this whole page came about and this this trend came about and it I mean I was probably at the beginning of it all I didn't invent it obviously <laughs> but um this thing came about and everyone was getting these these cabinets and it doesn't just have to be um an IKEA cabinet it can be any cabinet so that the types of things that I've that I've got in there is I have um two fans generally in this in the size of cabinet that I've got right now and I have one at the top and one at the bottom uh, they're all automated, so they come on uh, multiple times throughout the day just to move the air around. And plus another thing I don't like, so if you're going around and misting and spraying um, in the, in your cabinets or you've got a humidifier on all, all the time, I think it's vital to have airflow so that mould doesn't um, happen and other things. I do have one of them that has a heat mat in it because I have seedlings and cuttings and things like that growing on it. Um, and there's a light on the top of the cabinet and on the next shelf down. And both of my cabinets are split into sort of two equal sizes. I'm trying to think what else I've got in there. I've got a hygrometer, hygro, how do you say it? A hygrometer? However you wish, but I guess hygrometer yeah. is probably a good, <laughs> good guess. Hygrometer, um, which actually I don't even use anymore. I, I got it sort of a, just so I could have a look at the trend, the ups and downs and, and um, what goes on, especially with the humidity and the temperature, it's really interesting to see what happens. But when you've got enough plants in there, they sort of have their own humidity and they create their own little wonderful environment. And you can see that on, on, on that data. Yeah, and I think it's one of these things where it, presumably all the work is in the setup, really. And then how much maintenance are you doing every week aside from just obviously monitoring and watering your plants? Oh, it's not even a weekly. It's month. It's not even monthly. Sometimes, generally, I would say once a month, I go in and I get everything out and I just give it a clean. And that's that's pretty much what I do, other than watering and feeding. And it's not a laborious activity for me at all. I actually love it because that's like when you're going outside in your garden, you're going to clean the leaves and things like that. You know, you, 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 it's a really good time to have a look up, real good look up. You know, all your leaves to make sure. That, are there any pests? Are there any issues? Is there a surprise? You know, is there a, a new leaf coming up? But I check. I check every week anyway, just because I like to see what's what's going on in new. But the effort, if we're going to say effort, um, cleaning once a month. Just going back to anthuriums, are there any anthuriums that are still on your wish list that you have not yet acquired? Yes, there's a few. 
they're all from the Americas. So because there's obviously there's some well-known growers in America. So there's the red crystallinum types, um, which uh, a guy called uh, Dr. Jeff Block is the hybridizer for, for those. And there's one called Carla Blackie or Carla Blackie. I really want that one just because it's super, super duper dark. I really like the dark ones. I don't know why. I just think when you've got a super dark leaf and then there's a contrasting silver vein or something like that coming through, it just it just looks stunning. But they're the ones that are on my wish list that I can't get hold of, but I will be getting hold of soon. So <laughs> I'll have to share that with everyone when I can share that with everybody. They will be mine. <laughs> and I mean, if you were going to suggest one species for people like me who've never gone down. I mean I've had anthurium before but not the foliage anthuriums what which one would you recommend I start with can I re- can I recommend two actually you may yeah so I do think a really good one would be just the regular anthurium crystallinum so I know there's loads of clarinerviums out there but I think you'll get a lot more from a regular crystallinum it's not that hard and then a second one would be an anthurium vici, and only because I think they can cope a little bit better with less watering and feeding, and they seem to survive if you kind of forget about them a little bit and don't, don't water them, they've gone too dry. So I think they're a bit more forgiving. Who discovered on the ledge in the autumn and has been making their way through the podcast in an orderly fashion and was up to episode 95. Wow, you still got a long way to go, Lynette. Lots of episodes still to enjoy. And Lynette has a problem which she needs help with. And she moved into a new home and the main selling point was apparently the amazing light and giant windows, to which I think as plant owners, we all want to say, woohoo! However, things went a bit wrong because... Lynette imagined rows of lush hanging baskets in the bay window across the kitchen and put lots of plants in that space only to find that those plants got very miserable very quickly. Now, Lynette didn't say exactly what plants have been tried in that zone, but has found that they've been needed to be moved further and further back from the window and wants to know if there are other options besides cacti and succulents, because Lynette finds herself to be a killer of such things. Lynette writes, I dream of large hanging baskets with lush tropical foliage. Am I doomed? I've learned not to trust labels that say a plant can tolerate high light. So, Lynette, this is a great question. I think what may have happened here is... A bit of shock and awe for your houseplants as they moved into that big south-facing bay when you first arrived in the house. Bear in mind that plants very much adapt to the circumstances they are placed in. Now, that means that something that can cope with highlight will adapt itself in terms of the thickness of the cuticle on the plant, the outer layer and the amount of chlorophyll in the leaves, that will all adapt to the conditions that it's in. So if you suddenly take that plant that's kind of gotten used to much lower light conditions than you're about to foist them into and then put them in that highlight situation, 
they're not ready. They've, it's like me going, I think I've mentioned this metaphor in the past on the show. It's like me spending all winter indoors with no natural light and then going out and sunbathing in Dubai for two weeks with no sunscreen on my body. <laughs> the plants aren't ready for it. So I think it might not be a case of you choosing the wrong plants for that window, but that you didn't acclimatize them to those conditions. I mean, it would have been a shock for those plants moving anyway, added to the fact that they've suddenly had a big increase in light. I think they're probably just really unhappy um, with that setting for the reasons that it's not what they're used to. So I would always recommend that if you're moving house, gradually move plants closer to a window, let them adjust. And then hopefully that means that once summer comes, they're more adjusted to those conditions. Even then, in high summer, you may need to move plants away from the window. But I do think that if you've got a big south-facing window, your best bet really is cacti and succulents. That doesn't have to mean that you kill them. Your main concern when you're dealing with cacti and succulents and thinking about how to look after them is substrate. If you get that substrate right, right, you can actually water them pretty generously during the growing season without causing any problems, provided that water can drain out of the bottom freely. And that's one of the downsides of hanging plants, that that makes that a bit more of a pain. When you think about repotting cacti and succulents, just make sure you add loads of extra drainage material and hopefully that will solve your problems with watering as well. But yeah, lots of, lots of cacti and succulents will do well anything in the realm of things like uh, Cleistocactus, which is generally known as the monkey tail cactus. I think it used to be Hilda Winterer before it became Cleistocactus. Um, also things like our classic Curio Rolianus, String of Pearls, Senecio Hippogriff, Orthonocapensis ruby necklace, those trailing succulent plants would be great for this setting. The other thing you could do if you've got some plants that you want to put in that window, but you think it might be too bright, is either put some voil slash net curtains up or some blinds that you can open and close so you can adjust the light level, put a barrier between the window and those plants so you can adjust the light on particularly bright days. You can give them a bit of extra shade. And indeed, some of the plants that you've got might actually be okay in that south facing window if they are gradually exposed to it. So, so I guess it's one of those things where you can't just have an immediate answer and style the whole thing and make it look incredible and then walk away. It's going to be an experimentation process and it may take some time to get it right. But that's half the fun is the experimentation. So my advice would be continue to experiment, Lynette, and see if you can get things growing well. Thanks for your question, Lynette. And if you've got a question from the ledge, drop me a line on the ledge podcast at gmail.com. in your collection is really floating your boat boat right now mark is there anything that's a new plant or a plant that's really doing well that you're that you're in love with yeah there's a philodendron and i don't know whether i'm gonna say or i'm gonna have a go have a go it's philodendron composportainum <laughs> okay i'm I gonna trust you on that because i've got no idea either so I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the listeners can correct uh, correct me, but I'm just 
I'm just seeing it written down, but I think it's a a philodendron that was kind of hot many years ago and being completely forgotten about. And the the amazing thing about it, and the thing that I'm enjoying, is is the leaf shape. It has these sort of bunny ear lobed ear shapes as as the leaf gets larger and, and matures, but the, the the most amazing thing about it is it has this two-toned leaf colour. So when it's young, it's super vibrant pea green with sort of a yellowy luminescence in the middle. And then as it ages, it sort of darkens. I think... Um, I've just looked that up while you've been talking and that has got some really stunning leaves. It seems quite variable. I mean, presumably that foliage as the plant matures is going to change as, as so many aroids do into something else but that sort of burnished leaf is rather lovely yeah i mean i don't i mean obviously I, i've seen leaves and i've got some leaves that are uh, i don't know about as big as my head i'd say but um i've not seen anything i've not seen them in the wild or any images like that so i don't know so i just i've just seen some pictures and things on on the internet and obviously i've got two myself well it sounds like uh, an interesting one for people to add to their wish list tell me a little bit about the world of instagram and you i mean it's a, i i find as a british plant person that it's kind of interesting being part of this global community because as with many things in life north americans possibly dominate in terms of numbers and we have a slightly different sort of house plant culture here do you find sometimes that there's things that don't translate to non-British growers? So if, we, if we're just talking about Instagram, so like you can you can have somebody who who's just spun up an Instagram in say America or Canada, and then they'll just like excel phenomenally in their followership and their postings and and all these types of things on Instagram um, compared to somebody in the UK. But I I, I don't know whether I know. I know what it is. I can see the kind of things that people in the US who are excelling in that world, if that's their game, you know, they want to have big influence and loads of engagement and followers. I can kind of see the things that they're doing to get that. It's a lot of visuals and sort of comedy and, and, and stuff like that. Whereas for me, I think I do sort of blend it with a little bit of comedy, but truly and in my heart, I'm all about this is how I go about propagating something and this is what I found out because I just love some of the nerdy side of of the you know the planty board and I'm still in my greenhouse outside messing about you know that, that's me that's that's my world anyway for the story that I share on Instagram I think that's what it's all about isn't it you've, you've got to you know if you enjoy doing like um you know TikTok dances or whatever then that's great and i would encourage people to go all out and enjoy that but i don't think anyone should be kind of forced to kind of go with what they feel is the way, the trendy way of doing things because actually you know like you i want the in-depth info <laughs> i mean like, this is why i'm terrible at making stuff on instagram and tiktok because i want to talk for 10 minutes about a plant i don't want to give you seven seconds i can't say anything in seven seconds um but back to your instagram uh are you got any uh, what are your plans for this growing season have you got any particular projects you're working on I've got a couple of videos and there's one that I'm going to do as well, which I'm really worried about doing. And I want to do it the best way I can, which is to try and talk about lighting, <laughs> fake, you know, fake, fake lighting. There's lots of information out there. I want it to 
to be at the right level that can be understood but not get too complex that it could stress somebody. So I'm, I'm struggling with that one, but that's my plan for this year. I want to talk about some lighting. I think there's so many pitfalls in the LED plant lighting world and lots of people, I mean, my advice is always buy as expensive as you possibly can because the cheapo ones possibly are generally not very good. Like, you know, generally speaking, you're not getting something that's going to last. I mean, I, you know, I've, I have had, you know, lots of experiences of people buying cheapo LED lights that just don't last, that break and that go wrong. I look for IP rating, which I think is very important. I don't think it's on everyone, everyone's, everyone's list because a lot of the lights that people use are generally for like, you know, vivariums or terrariums or something like that. Tell, tell, explain IP rating. Yeah, so IP rating is the, I think it's a UK, I'm hoping it's a worldwide rating. Uh, it's a rating to understand the particles and water resistance a product has. So it's, um, I, don't, I can't remember the, 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 the numbers it goes up to. I think it's nine or six or something like that. Um, but generally, I look for something that's at least IP 60, 65, 66 something like that, which means it's sort of splash and spray proof and um, resistant to, you know, just regular particles. Because it's all about water protection for me with electronics. Um, and then I always look for something that's full spectrum as well. You know, there's all this, you know, blue light and, and red light and purple light thing. And I just think there's all, people need to understand the benefits of those spectrums. But I just go full spectrum. Agreed. Yeah, I, don't, I just don't want to have my place lit a like a... Room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well it is a real it is a real minefield so i'm sure that will be a really really useful video so um, i'm looking forward to that for, for myself as much as anything else anything else that you wanted to share with us mark before i let you go thank for your wonderful anthurium and oxalis information yeah yeah um uh, just just one more thing i could share which is another thing that i'm, I'm working on which is I'm trying to bring life some information. This could be a video. I don't know what it is, but I'm working with a with a partner on this one, and about using biological pest control. So I think that's been on the on the uptrend as well for people that have all these aroids and plants in the house. So I'm trying to just bring life to some some data and use about that. But also, people shouldn't worry too much about. Pests. Indeed, yes, I think there's a lot of panicking always going on when somebody it's sees natural. something moving. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's great to be able to use biological controls. You know, you don't, they're quite expensive, so you want to get them get them right and choose the right things, right? Because I think that's my other worry. I've been involved in sort of maybe in the in the panic culture, you know, on Instagram, going, "Oh no, I've got thrips," and and so I think I've been I've been involved in that negative thought. So I'm that's why another reason I'm going to try and try and do this, but um. I think that that's, that's been my learning curve as well, which is, you know, obviously I've been stressed about certain things like thrips, but I think I'm kind of over that now and I just didn't manage them and they're just part of life. Well, it's been delightful to speak to you, Mark. Thanks so much for sharing your wisdom with us. And um, just to finish by telling us where people can find you on their phones. Yeah, sure. So I'm in two spaces, really. So I'm, I'm mostly on Instagram on the account your.babylon. And I'm also on YouTube with some helpful tips, videos on your Babylon plants. Perfect. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
Thanks so much to Mark for joining me. And you can hear an extra chunk of chat with Mark in An Extra Leaf, where we talk about Oxalis. And that episode, An Extra Leaf 85, will be out in the next couple of days for anyone who's a Patreon subscriber at the legend or superfan level. Do check out the show notes for some more pictures from Mark and also the details of his social media handles. That's all for this week's show. You've been an attentive and fabulous audience as ever. I will see you next Friday. Have a fabulous week and remember to breathe in and out. Bye! music you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by the Joy Drops, The Road We Used to Travel When We Were Young by Komiku, and Namaste by Jason Shaw. All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. Visit the show notes for details.